When Jesus Christ comes back to stay, this is him coming back to judge. Things are different. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV from Genesis to Revelation. We are studying the Bible this year. And today we focus on Isaiah 60 to 63. This is absolutely fascinating. As we look at Isaiah 63, let's study it together. Now, Corey is here with Ryan. What's going on, Corey? I'm going to be focusing in on these robes of righteousness and garments of salvation that Isaiah 61 brings to our attention. Ryan? Today, I'm also focused on Isaiah 61, which has both a short-range prophecy and a long-range prophecy. All right, very good. We look forward to that. Get your Bible guide out. Let's study. What are we doing, Janice? Today, the mercies of the Lord. Does it bring up a chorus in your memory? Hmm. All right, let's get the Bible out and listen to what the Lord is saying to us right now. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 10. Who is this who comes from Edom? With dyed garments from Bozrah, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red, and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger, and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 10. Today we continue reading through the Bible. We read Isaiah chapter 60, chapter 61, 62, and 63, four chapters. And as we focus on the Word of God, 
Let me just take a few verses from chapter 63, 1 through 10, as we talk about rebellion. There's nothing more destructive to our spirit than rebellion. It is the essence of sin. The reason we sin is because of our rebellion. When we are faced with the reality of Jesus Christ, we are faced with a decision we must make. Do we accept him as Lord of our life and allow him to change our life or not? We must set ourselves against sin if we're Christians from that time forward and turn towards God. Sin is against the way of the spirit of God. Human laws and cultures and governments are not a great way to discover what sin is. Only the Bible, because God has authoritatively spoken through it. Humanity routinely chooses to do things against God's law. Now, we justify various aspects of stealing, murder, sexual morality, and we do this on a regular basis. But the choice should be a simple one for those who follow God for us. His ways lead us to life everlasting. While our old ways lead us towards eternal death, if we accept Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, then we will adjust how we live. We no longer live for self, but we live for God, becoming sensitive to properly representing him to those around us. Very important. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage because it's interesting. And if you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and go to the Bible guide, click on it. And when you do that, it takes you to a donate page. I want to say very much in this time when things are going crazy in the world, thank you for your donations. They really help us. They tell us that you're sensitive to the consistency of God's word because that's how we live here. And, uh, you know, it's very, very important. All right, we're going to focus on rebellion. Ten verses. Father, help us today as we study Isaiah 63, as we look at the first ten verses. We're going to spend several minutes just studying and help us, Lord, to hear you. So many times we read the Bible to prove ourselves right. We're not trying to prove anything today. We just need to listen to your Holy Spirit and allow it to change our heart. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Amen means make it so. All right. Now, this is important. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 2. Who is this who comes from Edom? Edom is that place that is not Israel. And dyed garments from Bezorah. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? Now, this is interesting. When the Lord comes back, he returns as judge. We must remain humble. You know, there's a lot of people today <laughs> who are so-called spiritual people and they exalt themselves and they say, well, I am the one who... I'm great, and I'll tell you what the Lord says. We have the Bible, and the Bible is the word of God for us. Pastors are meaning, pastors, the word means somebody who shepherds. A shepherd does not make the food for the sheep, but helps the sheep to find the food. 
The idea of pastors, we need to we need to think this through and understand that because so many people look at a pastor and they say, I'm going to do what he says. Well, hold on a minute. You should do what God says and he should help you go to that place to learn that. That's what a pastor does. That's what a pastor is. Anybody else who assumes to, to do more than that, I would question whether or not they are truly serving the Lord. Just an just a observation. We go back to Isaiah 63, verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Hmm. I looked but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury is sustained. It it sustained me. I have trodden down the people in my anger and made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. What is God saying here? God is coming to judge the earth, not to save it. Now, that's important. Remember that line. God is coming to judge, not to save it. The Lord has given this time for man to repent. When he comes back, it will be to judge. And I believe this because this is the way in which God, I believe, will take us out. And then he'll let the world do what it wants to for seven years. And then at the end of seven years, Revelation 19 There it is. Behold, heaven opened and he in a white horse came out. The descriptions there, we'll get to it. And God will judge the earth, not save it. And we need to keep that in mind because this time is limited. This time is finite. This time doesn't go on forever. It's finite. And yet we've been taught that billions of years and here and there. No, no. This time is finite. Keep that in mind. Very close to understand. Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 10. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praise of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. Who are we talking about here? And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy and he fought against them. You know, this is important. God fights against those who reject him. If we reject God, we don't get a chance to choose him with Peter and a book in heaven. That's not how it works. We must follow and stay in step with the Holy Spirit now. Beloved, I don't know who it was who came up with that idea. Uh, Peter standing at the heaven, you get in your head. The decision's made in this life right now. You must accept God to receive eternal life. 
and it's your choice. And if you do not accept him, I'm telling you, at the end of life, it is not a good thing. Hell is a real place. I want to tell you something. The burning fire is a real place. It is not good. Father, help us to all repent and come back to you in Jesus' name. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Today, our reading assignment is Isaiah chapters 60 to 63, and my segment today focuses specifically on chapter 61, which contains a very well-known messianic prophecy. As a matter of fact, when Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, he read from this very Isaiah passage. But it's also important to understand the original context in which this prophecy was given, because God here makes a short-range promise to the Jewish exiles, but also makes a long-range promise regarding the entire world. Let's take a look. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the prophet Isaiah proclaims that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Although the immediate context of this prophecy involved God's promise to release the Jewish people from the bondage of exile, it also looked ahead to the bigger picture, when God would release the entire world from the bondage of sin through a Messiah or a Savior. That this passage is ultimately referring to the Messiah is indisputable, since Isaiah many times identifies this Savior as the one whom the Spirit of the Lord God was upon. And just as God kept his short-range promise by delivering the Jews from exile, he also kept his long-range promise by liberating the entire world from sin, because just over 700 years later, he sent his promised Redeemer, whom he called Jesus, a name that means the Lord is salvation. Significantly, Jesus publicly announced and acknowledged his role at the synagogue in Nazareth by quoting this same Isaiah passage. As Luke 4, 17-21 records, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. While Jesus clearly identifies himself as the promised Redeemer of the world whom Isaiah saw, notice that he doesn't finish the passage. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus stops mid-sentence just before Isaiah mentions God's day of vengeance. Why? Because while the first portion of Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled through Jesus' first coming, God's judgment of the wicked and his physical kingship over the world is reserved until the second coming, where Jesus will come not as a sacrificial lamb, but rather as a conquering lion. So in this passage, God promises coming deliverance to the Jewish exiles at that time, but he also promises deliverance to the entire world from sin and death through the Messiah, Jesus. This was accomplished during his first coming through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. But notice there's still more of this prophecy remaining to be fulfilled. Jesus indicated this by stopping partway through the prophecy. During his first coming, Jesus proclaimed liberty to the spiritual captives and recovered the sight of the spiritually blind. And he set at liberty those who were spiritually oppressed. And he proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. But still to be fulfilled is the day of God's vengeance on the wicked and the comforting of the mourners. This will be a time when God deals with evil and establishes righteousness and justice on the earth. And Jesus will rule the world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the details of that are in Revelation chapter 19, I believe. And so this is really interesting to consider that as we study on. Mm -hmm. So very good revelations coming at the end of the year. But uh, very, very interesting. Corey? Well, you know, there are a lot of really important things to learn by focusing in on the details of the scripture. And one of those details that often goes overlooked, unfortunately, is the clothing that appears in the scriptures. I mean, when you look back at Genesis, we see humanity created without clothing, but then God clothes them. And then from then on, we see clothing being used in a very symbolic way all throughout the scriptures. I mean, all the way to Revelation, where we see the people of God in heaven wearing clothes, not reverted back to our original created state and, and just being naked. No, wearing clothes. And here in Isaiah chapter 61, the prophet brings up this idea of garments of salvation and the robe of God's righteousness. So let's take a look at uh, the ancient world and, and how they understood clothing and textiles, and then let's unpack it a little bit. Clothing has always been an important part of the human experience, and its symbolic use in the Bible is powerful, though not always explained. From discovered tablets in a few ancient cities, scholars have translated cultural attitudes toward clothing that can be helpful in proper biblical understanding. Mesopotamian documents stress the importance of the hem of garments. The hem was more than a practical reinforcement of an outfit. It was decorated and matched the person's life status, rank, and social standing. In Mesopotamian culture, it was considered an extension of the person themselves. Therefore, any alterations or damages to the hem were important. For example, in pagan rituals of exorcism, pieces of the hem would be cut off and rituals done to them as if it were the person themselves. Pagan prophets of Mari would send small pieces of their hem to the king as a personal guarantee of their prophecy. And as the final act in Mesopotamian divorce, the husband would remove the hem of his wife, removing her status as married into his household. 
In the Bible, Israelites were commanded to add tassels to their hems that incorporated a single blue thread. These tassels, with their streak of expensive ancient color, were to remind of the status of Israelites as covenant people. There are also several instances of the hem of garments being removed in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul tears the hem of the prophet and priest Samuel. Samuel then tells Saul that God has likewise ripped the kingdom away from Saul. As you have ripped my identity, God has torn away yours. In 1 Samuel 24, David chooses to cut a piece of Saul's kingly hem in order to prove that he's not murderous. But once he does it, he's overcome with guilt. David will not try to take Saul's life nor his kingship as represented by the hem of his garment. Clothing as a whole also signified status and position. Take, for example, how only the priests were to wear linen ephods, or how a person's shoe could represent their responsibility in legal matters. Akkadian tablets from the 13th century record an instance of divorce between a king and his queen. Their son, the crowned prince, may also leave with his mother and forfeit his status as next in line to the king. If he leaves, he must remove his clothing and place it on the throne. His clothing is tied to his role as crown prince. In the Saul and David narratives, the first kings of Israel, this same concept is present. After Saul is decommissioned as king by God, Saul literally disrobes and falls before Samuel. This also helps explain the covenant between Israel's crown prince, Jonathan, and David. Jonathan disrobes and gives his clothing and armor to David, supporting David as the new crown prince of Israel. All right, so let's read together with this context of, of clothing and textiles and the importance of clothing in the ancient world. Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So there's this idea that the people of God receive garments of salvation and a robe, not that they have made themselves, not of righteousness that comes from themselves, but a robe of his righteousness, of God's righteousness. So there's this symbolic act of God clothing us with his provision, with his righteousness. And with that act comes a very real new status that we receive, a new status as a child of God, as a person of God. And with that status change comes a new role in life and, and new behavior and responsibilities that that we then act out very and interesting isn't it in, incredible Corey when you think too as you were saying that even at the beginning of time after Adam and Eve first sinned and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves mm -hmm. they tried to cover their sin and they they couldn't yeah it was through a sacrifice of an animal that God made them mm -hmm. even at that point um, that he was going to provide. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So thank you so much for that. God's mercy is remembered here in Isaiah uh, 63, and I'm going to read verse 7. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. 
and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. And as we know, sometimes these little choruses pop into my head as I'm reading these verses. And all I could think of was, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. So hopefully, hitting the right key, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. And with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. And with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. I hope I've put that in your heart and that you'll be singing it today and tomorrow. Let's always sing of the mercies of the Lord. It's throughout every generation. Our God is faithful. You know, Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations that through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. And we need to remember that in our own lives. And we need to remember each, to remind each other of that as well. God is faithful. God is good. And his mercies are forever. I think that's great. Janice, I, I love that when you sing those choruses, <laughs> by the way, because I can't sing that well. But anyway, that's great. Uh, make sure that you get your Bible guide. This is what it looks like. It's the July guide and the August is coming up very soon. As we uh, approach the mid part to the end of July, I want to remind you that I, I want to thank you actually for your donations. They are very important and we praise God for that. And let me just pray for you because this is important. And Father, I pray today for all the people who are struggling financially and they're struggling with the food increases and the prices of uh, fuel and everything else, Lord, touch them and help us. And we will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever because of your faithfulness. We continue to pray for all of the things going on in the world. It's, you know, it's just really troubling if you just watch the news. And uh, I'm not suggesting you do. I'm just saying that it, the world is a mess because God has been kicked out of many places. But let me tell you something. There are people like me and like you, if you love the Lord, who are here and we pray, Lord, come, come back and help us. We need you today. 
Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.